everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars. I'm Randy Cardoon. Everybody has a car story. Just a reminder to subscribe to our iTunes page. We'd love a review and a rating as well. If you're listening on SoundCloud, give us a like. And if you like, leave a message. Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even check us out on YouTube. This week, if you talk with car people about people who excel at the art of pinstriping, I mean, that is an art. Those who can take paint, a thin brush, and take a surface like a car fender or a toolbox or a refrigerator door, even a bowling pin, and make them incredible works of art. Johnny Martinez is that guy and even has his work posted in the Pinstripers Hall of Fame. Yeah, I didn't even know they had one of those either. Martinez is also known for his 1929 custom Ford pickup. I caught up with Johnny in the garage of his San Fernando Valley home, basically his man cave. Martinez's love of cars began when he was young. I was a car guy when I was a kid because I used to con my mom or my dad into buying me toys when we went to the store. And I had an abundance of toys when I was a little boy and I had an imagination I played in the backyard with them, and I, I made things up in my head with my cars, made the sound, everything. I think back when I was 10, 8, 9, 10 years old. I always ask, were you a Matchbox, Hot Wheel guy, a Tonka guy? What were you? Well, back in the day, uh, there were, uh, I don't know if they were Hot Wheels or Tonkas, uh, they were uh, they were made by a German manufacturer, and I can't I have some, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but they were pretty inexpensive then. They're collectors now. Oh, they're they're all collectors. We all know that. Do you remember what your folks were driving around in at the time when you were growing up? Oh gosh, my dad bought a '57 Ford Fairlane. I can remember. Uh, I was born in '52, so I could remember that. My mom used to drive a '60 Pontiac Bonneville. My dad had a '57 Chevy pickup truck. Uh, I could go on. <laughs> what was your favorite car that they had? I got to say the 60 Bonneville because that's what I learned to drive in. And I did not, uh, I wasn't able to have a driver's license yet, but there was a place near my grandma's house in Northridge. It was a dirt road and my mom let, used to let me drive it. And uh, 60 Bonneville, I got to say, big car. That's back in the day when there were dirt roads near Northridge. I don't believe they have those much there anymore. No, uh, it's uh, pretty <laughs> developed now. It was pretty rural back then. What was your first car? My first car was a 57 Chevy, uh, I, I guess it was a 210 Del Rey, it was a post car. Yeah, I bought it from a guy who had it parked on the corner of a gas station, uh, had a three-speed with a 283 kicked out to a 301, that's what you did back in the day, and that was my hot rod, that was my first one. Wow, now, so you went ahead and you, you had that car, was there a reason you picked that one or you just happened to see it? Well, it was low in the front, it was a little high in the back, and it was a little hot rod looking kind of car, and that was uh, the kind of car to have uh, when you were in school, and so I fit right in. Absolutely. So were you a tinkerer from the beginning? I mean, did you get a chance to get your hands dirty right at the top? Uh, I think I did. Uh, I always had uh, motorcycles. Uh, I had many bikes, then scooters, and then motorcycles, and I used to do everything I could on them myself. Uh, I remember one of the uh, next vehicles I had was a 57 Chevy truck that my dad gave me. And, uh, and I would wrench on it, uh, what I knew how to do. Uh, I would do uh, tire black on the tires. There wasn't any armor all back in the day. So we did the, the tire black, but uh, I guess that's part of the tinkering that I did. So you make the transition to that. You, you drove around. Did you, when did you, what did you do before you really started getting into the business where you actually made money with cars? Did you have another career? Did you always want to be somebody that uh, worked on hot rods? 
You know, I, I, I didn't think it would go as far as it has with hot rods. I thought I had the interest in cars uh, to the degree that I did. And then it, it would just, uh, you know, probably just die off and I would pick up other interests. I know I rode motorcycles for a lot of years, um, but it, it took a turn and, and I never dreamed that it would do what it has done. Talk about taking a turn. What happened? Well, uh, I always liked cars. Uh, back when I was about 10, 11 years old, uh, there was a guy in my neighborhood, uh, Bob Grossi, and uh, I'm friends with him today. He's in his 80s, and he was building a, a Model T hot rod, and I remember watching him build that from the sidewalk. Wouldn't let me up his driveway, but he let me s stand at the sidewalk. And then he has that car today, and we're friends today. And I think that was probably my beginning early years of wanting to maybe do that someday. So he still has that car all the way, huh? He has that car. He has several. Uh, they come and go, but the Model T he still has. Uh, and uh, I got to say, he's my mentor. He, he car showed at the Pan Pacific Auditorium back in the day when trophies were eight feet tall. Uh, and, and I knew this. And so I thought maybe one day I would be like that. And, and for those people that don't remember and you're not familiar with Los Angeles, or even if you are, the Pan Pacific Auditorium was uh, right over there by CBS Television Center, uh, the one we're talking about right there off of Fairfax, right? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you, Randy, I don't know because I was a kid. Uh, that all was uh, going on when I was still a young boy, but uh, I do remember the old Hot Rod magazines and some of the articles and, and the pictures that I used to see Bob with, and so, you know, that's what I remember. I remember, too, because my dad used to always take me to the Pan Pacific Auditorium and the L.A. Car Show used to be there. And, you know, I, I don't know if you had this similar experience, but I would go and I would collect the pamphlets, the little magazines, whatever, at the various locations. So I, I went to the Dodge display and I'd grab the Dodge one and had all the pictures in it. I'd go to the Chevy display, the Ford display, the Mercury display, grab all that stuff, come home, sadly cut them up. Take the boy. If I would have saved them back then, what a great story that would have been. But we used to cut them up, and I just I put them in a scrapbook and and that kind of thing. But the Pan Pacific Auditorium, sadly, no longer here. Uh, they ended up putting apartments on it and and all that. But uh, and it's over there in the Fairfax District in Los Angeles. But that was such a classic place. When you went, or did you go to the Pan Pacific Auditorium later in life, or did you not get a chance to see it? I don't know that I went to that particular place. Uh, um, I don't even remember uh, how serious I was with the hobby. I do remember a, a, a kid that I went to school with who was building cars in his garage, and we were 16, 17, 18 years old. Nobody took him seriously. He did, and I remember his car being at a car show, and it was one of these cars that had the metal flake roof and the, the seats that swiveled and the doors that opened suicide, and he was competing against big guys with big cars and he had won one of these major shows and then of course being 17 years old he dropped out because basically he was still a kid and uh, there was an article written in a magazine somewhere uh, about this guy that came to the show won the show and disappeared and had a car that was worthy of all these big builders and nobody knew who this guy was and recently about I want to say about eight or ten years ago, a magazine came out with a picture of that car, and still, as, as early as ten years ago, it was written that this car was built by somebody, and they gave a short history of it showing up, and then it disappeared, and nobody knew who had done that car. 
and uh, and I went to his shop, his body shop in Canoga Park, and I showed him this magazine article, and he looked at it, and he never ever knew that, never knew the story, and so I was a pretty good feeling for him. Now they eventually hooked up, and they did a story and follow up later, or where where did that story go? He he was going to get a hold of the uh, editor of the magazine and uh, bring that to light, and whatever happened after that, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, if he would have given that editor all the information and all of that, that would have been a really good recap of a story and bring it all back to light. Who are we talking about, can you say? Uh, this guy's name is Dennis Bryant, and he builds one or two customs every few years. He's in Canoga Park, and I think he's about retired now. His son took the business over, and, uh, and he got out of the car scene seriously and just started building a car once in a while just to keep his hands in it. But he was doing this at 17 years old, and I'll never forget that guy and what he did. And uh, lucky enough for me, I'm his friend. <laughs> well, yeah, because how, I mean, can you imagine getting that kind of accolade and never knowing about it? Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Uh, we used to see this. Uh, we were 17 years old. You know, we were out. Uh, you know, doing whatever we did and trying to, you know, have girlfriends and things like that. And this guy was building cars and took it serious. Wow. How many cars have you built? You have, and we're going to get into this in a little bit because uh, we're doing this basically in your garage because <laughs> that's the beauty of some of the equipment I use for those of you listening. I can go practically anywhere and a lot of times I do. We are in uh, Johnny's garage here in Woodland Hills, California. We're right next to his 1929 Ford pickup truck uh, called Wicked and Suede. Wicked and Suede. And there are pictures of it all over YouTube. Just look up uh, Johnny Martinez, Wicked and Suede. In fact, I believe that's your Twitter handle. Isn't that correct? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah you're kind of like me. This whole uh, social media thing, uh, we're, we're figuring it out. We're of that same age, kind of like. Did you do something before you got into cars a little bit more? Or how many cars have you worked on? My cars were, were simple cars. I, I would go to Pep Boys back in the day and bought whatever I could afford. And, and those, that was the extent of my car customizing. It was just simple. Again, I, I can't emphasize, I never thought it would go to the, the, the degree that it did. But my cars were nice. I'd buy wheels and I'd buy tires and I'd lower them and I'd put exhaust pipes like that. I had a, a, a several cars. I had a couple 63 Impalas and, uh, and they were somewhat semi-customized, but nothing to the degree of what guys are doing today. So building a car ground up, I had never really done that. I uh, just tweaked my cars a little bit and made them nice. Now those 63 Impalas, what kind of style? Did you lowrider them? Did you raise the back? How did you do that? One of my uh, Impalas, my first one was a white one, and it was uh, lowered. It had shaved doors, and it had wire wheels. And, uh, I mean, for the day, it was it was uh, done right. It was done the way it was. And I actually got that. I actually traded that car, my 57 Chevy. I traded uh, for that 63 Impala. The very next 63 Impala I got was an SS, and it was stock height. I put tires and wheels and exhaust, and that was the extent of that. Uh, then I went to trucks, and I had trucks ever since. Now, are you talking about updated trucks, or are you talking about classic trucks? I had classic trucks. I had a 57 Chevy truck that my dad had given me, and I fixed it up. I think I had a Datsun, a 72 Datsun that I lowered and made it look cool. I had a 55 Chevy truck, short bed, that I actually, I guess you'd call customized for the day. Paint, chrome, interior, 
uh, everything that I knew how to do inexpensively. And uh, But I stayed with trucks ever since then and up into the late models. One of my personal favorites, uh, similar to what you're talking about, in fact, I owned it for a little while, 56 GMC. And the thing about the GMC trucks, it had that bulldog, what I call the bulldog front end because it either had all white uh, bumpers and grill and that kind of stuff, or if you did it right, it's all chrome. And I mean, that's like, that's like a talk about a grill. I mean, yeah. and that whole body style, that's similar to what you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, that, that truck you're talking about, it was a lot of metal up there, either painted white or, or chrome plated. Mine was a 55 Chevy and, uh, and you know, they were all almost all the same. Um, they varied a little bit in style, but, uh, that was, uh, my last, uh, old truck like that. And then I, uh, got into the later model trucks and they were always striped, uh, everything I had, uh, there wasn't anything that I didn't touch. I did something to them. We're, again, we're going to get to your uh, 29 here in a minute, but you you were known a lot in the community, not only for this particular truck that we're sit sitting next to, but also because of your striping ability. I mean, you are a pinstriper extraordinaire. You do nowadays, you do awards. I was even lucky enough to get one of your awards at uh, because I hosted uh, the LAPD show here within this past few months. Uh, and, and believe me, it was such a blast to get that from you because your work is just impeccable. But when did that start? When did you start getting into pinstriping? Well, uh, I actually got into pinstriping in, in 2013. I won the Grand National Roadster Show January of 2013. And after winning that show um, uh, is when I picked up a striping brush and I decided to self-teach myself how to pinstripe. And that's when that took off for me. Self-teach yourself? I self-taught. Uh, was it out of a book? I mean, how do you, do you, did you just look at other people and then just, oh, I can do that and that's it? Yeah, I would study lines. Uh, uh, a very good friend of mine whom we lost last year, Rick Grindle, he was a friend of mine for over 40 years. He was my pinstriper, striped anything I ever drove or rode. And uh, I would study his lines, and I was amazed at the stuff he would do for me. And when I won the Grand Nationals, it was a whim on my, in my mind. I said, you know, I want to I learn how to do this. I, I want to do it. Strictly just to learn how to do it and be able to do it, and, that, and if I could do it. And uh, so I went to Rick and I says, Rick, I want to learn to stripe. What do I do? He says, get a can of paint and a brush and practice. And that is all he would tell me. And uh, there was a reason for that. He was very old school. He was kind of a beatnik kind of guy. And, uh, and that's how I learned. And uh, sadly, we lost him last year. Uh, and uh, his family, and if you can look right behind my back here, that paint box was his. And his family gave me that box with all the brushes he ever owned and did his magic with. Now this is the silver one right behind That's you? That's the silver one you see. Yeah, this is a, a silver one. It's it's a, a toolbox per se, but it's got paints and all sorts of things. You put your name on it, which is awesome. And it's got all sorts of uh, great pinstriping done on it. Did he do that or did you? No, the box was uh, was blank. Uh, he didn't, um, he was funny like that. He didn't, uh, he didn't want magazine. He didn't want uh, any recognition, so to speak. He was a very quiet guy. Uh, that's how genuine he was. I striped that box because it just seemed like maybe that's what I should do. And on the other end of that box that you can't see against the wall, I put his name on it first. And that was just to keep him alive and for somebody to say, Grindle, who's Grindle? And then I would have the honor to say who it was. And, uh, and then one night I put my name on the other end. Now, he told you can of paint and a brush. 
is there such a thing as a pinstriping brush, or is is just any brush would do? No, there is. Uh, there there are special brushes to do pinstriping. They're uh, they're cut like a sword, and they're different thicknesses, different uh, quills, and uh, they all have a purpose. And uh, you just got to learn what one does and what one doesn't. And uh, when I first started, I was pinstriping, and it looked like I was striping with a house paint. Uh, brush, you know, as it, it was pretty rather thick. It, it was pretty sad, but I think in uh, in ten months I was um, having people wanting to buy things from me, and within a year um, I was I was smoking it, and um, I've been striping uh, since 2013 of January. I've got a piece that went to Seattle, Washington, and and got put into the Pinstripers Hall of Fame. I've striped for uh, for big people. Um, I've been asked to do lots of things with a paintbrush, and I've just been so blessed and lucky. I didn't know there was a Pinstripers Hall of Fame. What is that all about? There's a uh, friend of mine, uh, Dave Dickinson, who's uh, an editor, uh, not an editor, but he's a uh, author of um, the old Carnut magazine or book. And uh, he's affiliated with the Pinstripers Hall of Fame in Seattle. And uh, he called me one night and asked me if I would donate a piece they were actually going to induct uh, local artists' uh, things into the Hall of Fame, and then they were going to public auction off certain pieces to benefit a children's home out there in, in Seattle. And he asked me to do a, a specialty piece that he really liked. I agreed. I did it. And friends of mine, and uh, uh, a friend of mine and his wife were there walking, decided they saw the, this facility, so they yeah, we're going to go in and take a look. They saw my piece on an easel, they saw my name, they saw the little write-up, and he didn't know it was there, took a picture, sent it to me, and says, guess what we saw? So uh, so I had a piece that was put in there, recognized my name, and uh, oh, what an honor, what an honor. Wow, so what exactly was the piece that uh, went into the Hall of Fame? Well, I'm known throughout the back east and like that as the California kingpin. These stripers back there have never seen anybody do as many bowling pins as I've done. Old pinheads back in the day when I was going to shows just as a spectator, I'd see these uh, vendors and I'd see these bowling pins and it had nothing to do with bowling. They were a, a, good, a great piece, they stood up, it was a good canvas and that's how I started doing them. But I've painted something like 110, 112 pins to date. And these guys call me the kingpin, the California kingpin. So Dave asked me to do one of my signature pins, and I did a uh, kind of a rat fink kind of theme to it. So what do you go over to uh, the Bolero over here off of the freeway on the 101 or head over to Canoga Bowl and just go, so uh, you got any old bowling pins you don't want? I mean, where, where, where do you get these things before you paint them? Well, I have a friend uh, who uh, graciously has given me some. Uh, I've had other people call me and say, hey, guess what I got for you? And they'll bring over 10 or 12 pins, and um, that's kind of how I got them. I think I have about, I have about 40 or 50 stashed away. So originally, I was going to take one or two out and do them, keep them fresh, not do any for a while, then do it again. And uh, I've done 110 or so pins to date. We're talking to Johnny Martinez, and of course, he is pinstriper extraordinaire, like I've mentioned. Uh, he's into classic cars. We're going to talk about his 29 truck, I promise, here in a little bit. But I, I always, when you started talking about this, this popped into my head, and I'm thinking, okay, what's the easiest thing to pinstripe? What's the hardest thing to pinstripe? The easiest thing to pinstripe is something flat, a piece of tin. I paint on glass. Uh, the hardest thing by far is anything that's round 
and uh, and centrifugal like that, I guess, if that's the right word to use. Uh, I've painted uh, the small arms on sunglasses. I did a pair of glasses for a little girl at Seal Beach. She was thrilled to death. Um, I've done helmets. Uh, they're a little difficult to do. Um, I can name a few things uh, that would be really difficult to do, actually. What's the nuttiest thing you've ever pinstriped? Right now that I can think of, I did a light bulb. Uh, there was a light bulb laying up on my toolbox, and I just looked around, and I saw it, and I said, I wonder. And I did one color, and I put it down, and then the next few nights I looked at it, and I said, let's do another color. I think I did about three colors on a light bulb. But uh, anything that gets in my way, as you can probably notice behind you, my refrigerator got in the way. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've done some, some goofy stuff. And we have mutual friends, and you did their lawnmower. I just did a friend of mine's lawnmower. They messaged me on computer one night and said, we got a lawnmower, and it looks like it needs some craziness. They brought it over to me, and they, I said, leave it. And uh, when I got done with it, yeah, it was a little crazy. So that's going to go into the pinstriping Hall of Fame, the lawnmower edition room, right? Is that where it's going? <laughs> well, let's hope so, huh? <laughs> wow. So can, can people just go to the pinstriping Hall of Fame? And it's in Seattle, you said? It's in Seattle, Washington. It's a facility where they have uh, a, a, a lot of local artists were asked to donate to be a participant of this thing for a good cause. And uh, so I've never been there. I, I'll, be, I'll be truthful with you. I don't fly, so... I'll only go as far as my car can drive me. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd like to go there because uh, they do recognize what I did, and I'd, I'd like to be a, a part of that. But it's a facility where you can go and see specialty artwork like that. You and John Madden, so don't feel bad. It's okay. Not everybody flies. I, I understand that completely. That that works out really well. So if you're up in the Seattle area, check out the uh, the uh, pinstriping museum. I, mean, I would imagine when I think of pinstriping, guys off the top of my head, Von Dutch, uh, name some other big-time pinstripers that that we might know. Well, there was uh, there was a pinstriper I think back in the day, the Greek. Uh, he's one that I can remember. Um, there was a, a local striper here, uh, Itchiotis, who was one of the guys I used to follow. Uh, I'd see his cars. I'd see some of the stuff like that. Um, yeah, Von Dutch was uh, was one of the one of the the mainstream guys. Uh, another guy that's uh, I guess. He's his own today. He's world known, uh, and uh, he happens to be a good friend of mine. Is uh, the famous Von Hot Rod, and uh, Von Hot Rod and I met a couple of years ago at a car show uh, that was affiliated with Teen Challenge and the McGuire family. And uh, I was asked to make something for Von Hot Rod, and when I gave it to him, when actually the McGuire family gave it to him, and when he seen this piece, he looked at it and was fairly impressed. And we became friends instantly after that, and we've collaborated on a piece at his request to me, which I was honored to do. He created a piece. He uh, had me stripe it. He striped it, a second color. We both signed it, and it went to public auction at the, at the uh, show at the Benedict Castle uh, Concord Riverside this wow. year. So, uh, so I've had a chance to do that with him, collaborate with him, and it's a real honor to, uh, to be able to do that with a man like him. Uh, Von Hot Rod uh, certainly has uh, made a mark in this industry, and he's at SEMA. He just got back from Australia. He's he's everywhere, mm -hmm. and and I'm honored to uh, to be able to call him a friend of mine, and uh, he recognizes me as uh, as an equal. Let's move on to the car, because uh, it is it is a masterpiece in its own right. Take us to the point where somewhere along the line you decided I wanted to do a car top to bottom. How did this whole 29 Ford pickup truck start for you? 
Well, I had actually uh, bought a 36 Chevy truck from a friend of mine because I wanted to do just that. It was a lot of work and it needed a lot of it needed a lot of attention to what I wanted. And I started to do that when I found the 29 and I found it in Van Nuys. I thought maybe it'd be a long ways away so I wouldn't have to worry about trying to buy it. I called the ad. He was in Van Nuys. I went and looked at it. It was on the trailer in pieces. I bought it. I drug it home, and my wife, Linda, wasn't real happy about that. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew what these looked like when they were done up. And uh, so I, I sold the 36, I, and I started on the 29 slowly but surely. Had lots of obstacles, lots of uh, bad things happen on the way. And it looked like it wasn't going to get done. In fact, I had it for sale three times. Now, what you're referring to, a lot of obstacles and a lot of things happen, weren't necessarily truck-related. No, it was everything from, well, it was, it, it, I was raising a family. I was still, I started this when I was a young man. Uh, I was raising a family. How many years ago? Uh, I bought this truck in 1993. Oh, wow. So I was starting to work on it, 94, 95. But uh, along the way, raising kids, it was just normal things. And then, uh, you know, the great earthquake hit. And it shambled my house pretty good. Uh, Is that the house we're in now? The house we're in now. And uh, that was a story in itself, uh, the, the problem in itself. Uh, in 2001, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, that, that, was, that was a hard deal. We had to deal with that. Uh, and I was helpless with her, you know, and so the car went on a back burner and that was one of the biggest, biggest things that, that put this on hold. Uh, not ever knowing that four years later I'd be diagnosed with cancer. And so we dealt with that again and it was another two years before I was able to get back on it. And, uh, the rest of it was was icing on the cake um after i got it finished uh, we never forgot what it took uh to get it to this point and i don't know if that's why i've had such good fortune with it i've had such good things happen to me for me and with the truck and the truck's been successful and uh and that led me to one of the biggest awards that i got this year the truck was finished when Finished the truck in late, uh, mid to late 2010. I wanted to go to the Grand Nationals. Uh, I went January of 2011. I was in the Suede Palace. My truck really pretty much bombed there, but it was about to come out in uh, Street Rider Magazine, and the feature uh, editor said, we're going to write that you were at Grand Nationals. That's some pretty good bragging rights. And that's what he did. And, uh, and so that was the beginning of the car showing. It took 17 years for you to rebuild this truck. Uh, and then at that point, did you decide to show it or how did that come about? Well, I was still on the tail end of chemotherapy and, the, and all the things that go with that. I, I hooked up with a, with a shop in Chatsworth and uh, they uh, were gracious enough to take my truck and do all the things that I couldn't do. Uh, the B&E Customs in Chatsworth, I don't believe they're there anymore. And uh, they allowed me to go there and do everything and anything I could do. And that was how I finished it up. And that's when I uh, still wasn't anticipating what was to happen. It was just going to be a cruiser. In fact, I was going to Bob's Big Boy on Friday nights, hanging out with my friends, sitting in a chair and having fun. 
Um, I stepped away for reasons. Uh, had I not done that, none of this today would have happened for me. None of it. How did you get from Bob's Big Boy bringing the truck out for cruise night, like a lot of us have brought our cars out to cruise night, but what happened to get you to start taking them to prestigious shows like that? Well, I went to my first four or five shows, and I won. I won every show I went to. And after Grand Nationals, uh, I was going to all the local shows, and then I started meeting people, and they started introducing me to people, and I started getting invited to certain shows. I did a show in, in Ventura, and a man there interviewed me for his radio station and brought Linda and I in studio and did a full interview. And that was kind of the beginning, and it was just meeting people. And today it's the people for me that make me excited. It's the people. Did you make any changes to this truck from the time that you took it to the Grand National Show, or is it pretty much in the same shape it was? This truck is pretty much the same. Uh, two years, two and a half years, you get out of a show car uh, for most parts. Um, and this thing is, is still going. Um, uh, Grand Nationals was my 29th win with my 29 Ford. Seemed like a nice number to quit at. And that's when I picked up the striping brush. To date, I'm at 65 wins. And this thing just doesn't stop winning. And it's just, um, it's, it's admired by everybody everywhere I go. And it's just uh, beyond me. I'm a three-time visitor at Grand National, and I'm a two-time winner there. You're familiar with Mad Magazine. I am. They used to do make goofy songs up based on real songs, kind of like Weird Al Yankovic before it was Weird Al Yankovic. And one of the songs I remember growing up with, there was a show called Born, a song called Born Free. And they called it that song MG. And it was basically the lyrics went like this. MG, I'll wash you and wax you, but if some Chevy smacks you, I'll die. MG. And I bring that up because as unfortunately as you found out at a recent car show, uh, it's kind of the same thing. That, that adage is kind of true, isn't it? Yeah, now that you put it that way, uh, I could have never thought about that till just now. But yeah, you're right. Wow. This happened at a recent car show. Uh, you know, you take these things out, like your truck, and a lot of people do. You ever go to car shows, there's some really, really nice cars there. And, and sometimes stuff happens. Explain to me what happened with yours. Well, uh, I was uh, getting ready to leave, probably, it was getting towards the end of the event. And there was a spot between us. And there was a guy that pulled in in a very, very beautiful, beautiful convertible, Tri-5 convertible, high-end car, and he was trying to park between me and another guy, and there was a whole lot of parking spaces all around. I don't know why he was trying to do this, and there was another gentleman talking to me about the guy that had a car like mine once upon a time, and, and he sort of was directing him into parking in this spot, and I was watching, but I wasn't you know, I, I maybe I should have been more worried, but I, I just wasn't. It, never did I think he was going to do what he did, and he got too close. And as I stepped over to to stop everything, I felt my truck move. It was awful. And I've driven this thing uh, long distance uh, to shows. Uh, I drive it everywhere. I've had people say, you know, why do you want to drive this hot rod on the street? Aren't you afraid something will happen to it? And I say, well. And I smile and I say, well, I'll just fix it, you know, and it's easier to say that when you just know that it hasn't or you think it's never going to happen. The dent itself, and, and it's dented on the fender, uh, one of the back wheels, So, and it's a kind of a fender you can take off. It, it's not like a, it, since it's a 1929, it, it's a smaller fender. It is fixable, but it's not that simple. No, uh, the, the fender can be removed and painted. The whole thing is an easy peasy fix, no big deal. 
The thing is, is that I got six years on this paint job and there's a chance that it's not going to match. It's a satin suede paint. And the real, real uh, problem that's, that I'm going to have is that anything that this hot rod has done, it's done television. I just got done doing a music video, magazine. All of that's going to be compromised now because it's, you know, it's not going to present like it probably normally would have. And so I've got a, a hurdle there in front of me. Who's a music video? It's a, it's a group in uh, Fraser Park. Uh, I've never really heard of them. Uh, the guy's a director, writer. He's in the industry, produces things. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not even sure. It starts with a Z. I, I'm just not that familiar with these guys. Not ZZ Top. No, not ZZ Top. I wish it would have been, you know. Uh, okay, well, that started with Z. Yeah, no. Uh, Zville, I think, uh, is is the band. I think we did it out in the desert, out in uh, uh, in in uh, Antelope Valley, way out in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. I saw the promo on it, uh, and uh, I did all the driving scenes. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it, it was fun doing. And it's a small dent, very small. But how much sleep did you lose that night? Well. You know, as it's, I started to think about it more and more, but I, again, I just, I'm really easygoing, and uh, and I really wasn't even mad. Um, I was happy to be. It was a good day, uh, and I think with my history of health, uh, I, I just appreciate every day. Everything can be fixed, Randy. You know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, it's, it. You know what I mean. It's just hard to explain. Health is so important, and if you don't have your health, you don't have much of anything. When I was sick, everything I had and anything I had and anything I thought I was, I was not. Um, I, it, nothing. And now, uh, anything I do, anything I do, uh, trophies, uh, all of that, that's just the icing on the cake. That's all. That's all. It's the people that I meet and uh, every day that I get up and be able to do what I do and the pinstriping that I do, I'm blessed. Is there another vehicle out there that you say, this is what I want to do? Well, there's a couple that I would want to do, but when I was trying to put this together, my wife Linda had a 56 Chevy and it was a ground up build. And she had it five years, drove it daily, and, and we sold it after 50,000 miles. Um, I think if I was to do another car again, it'd probably be another 56, and only because it's her passion. Two-door hardtop, four-door, what was it? It was a two-door uh, 210 Del Rey, turquoise and white. It was postcard. Postcard, and it had uh, small block Chevy automatic, air, disc brakes, power steering. It was a car. It was cool. Now, you obviously talk a lot about the vehicles you have, and one of the questions we always ask is, what's in your garage? Well, we know what's in your garage because we're in your garage, so it's the 29, but what other cars do you have uh, in the fam? We have just my regular cars, you know. I mean, uh, in fact, uh, we sold Linda's car and bought, uh, uh, I think, a late model Infiniti with all the push buttons and all the whistles. Uh, you know, Linda drives a Lexus, and uh, I recently just bought a brand new truck so I've got a, a Chevy Silverado. I'm loyal to Chevrolet, always have been. Uh, the 29 Ford is, is Ford, but it's got a Chevy Bullet under the hood, so yep. bingo bango, you know? <laughs> <laughs> is there ever a car you had that you wish you could have back? Well, I think uh, back in the day I had two 63 Impalas. I think if I was to buy another car for myself, uh, I would want to buy a 62 
Impala. That was a lot about back in my day. I know my first car was a 57 Chevy, mm -hmm. but the Impala, it, it, I love those cars. They just don't ever die. And I've had two 63s. The 62 is what I would like to have. If I could buy one today, it would be that. Why the 62 instead of just getting another 63 or 64? Uh, it's different from the 63s. I've had two 63s. Um, and the 62, the body lines, the front end, um, they're just, uh, they work for me. And uh, they're everything that I like in a, in a car like that. Wow, that's, that's great stuff. We are in the garage, and granted, there's a refrigerator there, and there's a couple washer-dryer on the other side there. That's the way they are in this area. But he's got his workbench. He's got his tools. On the walls, you have uh, signs that say Street Rod Alley, Big Boys Toys, Trailer Trash. You've got great pictures of Wicked and Suede, which, of course, is the 29 truck. You've got some uh, race car pictures. Tell me a little bit about those because it looks like it's from some raceway. Where? What raceway is that? Well, that's Saga Speedway. Uh, back in the day in the in the mid-70s, my brother-in-law and a friend of his had a, a stock car that they raced Saturday nights at Saga Speedway. And I was on the pit crew. There was the three of us. And, uh, you know, we weren't, uh, we were the low, we were like everybody else there having fun. And so uh, a lot of those pictures are from back in the day. It was at Saga Speedway in Saugus, California. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, we had a lot of fun doing that. And I like racing, and uh, we raced a 57 Chevy. Uh, to think about it now, I cringe because, uh, you know. Why would you cringe? <laughs> well, you see those kinds of cars that are, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know. Oh, oh. Yeah, so yeah, to crunch up a '57 Chevy, I, oh I can. Oh yes, I completely get you. Yeah. All right, so you've got the pictures here, but and, and one of the other things I have to mention before we say so long, and and again, this has been great. You have, and a lot of guys who are into cars, and you mentioned toys. You've got a lot of your toys. I mean, there's uh, and above there's a shelf above here. There's a surfboard actually hanging above me, and it's got. Uh, one of those pedal cars without wheels, but it, it kind of looks like a 59 Pontiac. You've got another one up here uh, that looks like a Falcon over here. And you've got this big, gigantic metal thing. And it's got, you. we were talking before we started, it's got an interesting history. Tell me about this big metal vehicle with the metal wheels. And you could see underneath, and at one time it was a pedal car. Tell me about that. It's an Austin J40. It was made in, uh, in England. And uh, a lot of them were made... Uh, off the real Austin car. Uh, the manufacturer, as the story I was told, the manufacturer uh, was put out uh, so many hundreds of Austin cars, the real cars. Uh, the miners back there were mining, and when the miners created, uh, uh, I mean, when the miners uh, got black lung, uh, they no longer could work. And so the manufacturer the, the, of, the, of these Austin cars would shut production down on cars. Uh, and then he started building these Austin pedal cars. And so he put these guys who had black lung to work building these pedal cars. And they built them for uh, uh, circuses and carnivals. And, and they eventually went on into the 60s and became little uh, stiff cars in front of supermarkets. And a little boy could, or a little girl could get in there and put a quarter in it, and the thing would bounce and bob around. Yeah. Uh, the circuses had them on a on a turnstile, and they were hooked to stiff legs, and the steering wheels would just spin wild, but they would go in a circle. Mm -hmm. The uh, the the circuses uh, got wind of these things, and they would pedal these things when they came into town, and then they'd set up the tent outside of town, and the circus was in town. 
and the the uh, clowns got wind of 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 how to make maybe make these things better they started putting electric motors in them with a battery these austin j40s had a simulated motor i think champion spark plug went on board and they started donating the spark plugs and they had the wires and they were wide enough for two kids to pedal car these things uh, in Europe, the schools used them, and they would make shift little streets with street signs, and they would teach the kids right. traffic safety. And that's what this car is. It's an Austin J40. And I Any would, idea what the history of this particular one is? I, I don't know if it even has a, a serial number on it. This, but is it this, car, this car was owned by a man in Malibu, and it has an electric motor in it. Of course, it's burnt. And Explain that. Why was it burnt? Well, the Malibu fi the the fires. Uh, what was it? Maybe ten or twelve years ago. I'm real right. bad in time. Came through from the north, and they went right on through the valley, right. and they burned through Malibu, and the fire stopped at PCH. It couldn't burn anymore. The fire went through this man's property and burned that car. But that car used to be used by his grandkids, and they would drive it on the property. It was a go kart for all sakes and purposes, and so it burnt. A friend of mine was there doing tractor work, seen it. And this guy said, if you want, you can have it. It's no good to me. So he took it home, and he had it in his planter in Simi Valley. And one night, he was getting rid of everything, called me and says, I have something I think you might want. And that's how I got it. It's, it's basically a rusted-out shell. But, it, again, the history behind it is so magnificent. I mean... I mean, are you thinking of possibly one day you're building it? Well, I, 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 I would like to. I met a guy online who we've now become friends with, uh, with each other. His name is Phil Ray, and he used to restore these things. So he's got uh, uh, every piece, every part that I can restore this with that he's remanufactured, or, and he's a vendor. And so, uh, yeah, I would like to do that, but I don't know why I don't. It isn't like I don't have enough to do. Uh, oh, and then top it off, also up here on this shelf that's above your workbench, uh, too many bikes, two, right? I think I missed. Two up there. Two, tell, me, tell me what they are. I have two up there. I have a Rupp mini bike that my dad bought me when I was uh, probably seven or eight years old that I still have today. That's a rarity. I have another one over here in the corner I bought from a guy. Uh, I think it was supposed to be a, a, a clone off of another manufacturer. Of some a Bull kind. Taco or something? Uh, taco yeah. mini bike. And then I have another one over there in the corner, and I don't know who makes that, but I bought that from my nephew. And uh, once again, uh, you see them at car shows. They're mm -hmm. restored. Uh, I just haven't had time to uh, restore them. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, it's a good thing you're retired now because you you have enough. You got plenty of things to do. But the other part I was going to say is you have uh, a lot of Tonka toys here. A lot of you have a thing apparently for Tonka toy Jeeps. Tonka trucks were what I grew up with. I've got pickups, truck campers, tra tra tractors, uh, car haulers. I've got some Jeeps up here. Tonkas were what I grew up with, and uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, my wife and I would be at antique stores, and I'd see these things, and I'd get that, I, I, the, the memories would come back, and I guess maybe that's what I was chasing, so I was grabbing anything and everything that I grew up with, with, with toys that I could, and it was like, it was almost like yesterday, just holding it in my hand. I've got over 125, 135 Tonka pieces, but they're hard to store and they're hard to display. So I've had to quit collecting them. And, uh, you know, amongst other die cast collectibles that I have, I've got way too many. 
I was going to say now we haven't I haven't seen your house but do you have some displayed in there or do you have other toys displayed yeah, in there I have Tonkas up there I have Tonkas uh, in there and I have a car case that has like five shelves with uh, way too much stuff um, just way too much a lot of the stuff has been given to me by children uh, my neighbors that used to live next door when they were little little kids little boys my nephews when they were little uh, they'd see something on vacation and they'd uh, they'd say I, I think Uncle John would like this or my neighbors would say Big John's got to have this and I remember one night uh, the neighbors came home from a two-week vacation and they brought me a motorcycle of some type and they gave it to me and I said gee thank you and the woos and the was but they would not go home and I said why aren't you guys going home <laughs> and they said we want to see that you put it in your case Big John so I had to bring them in the house, and they actually had to see me put it in the case. And that was a big deal to them. And, of course, it was a big deal to me. Johnny Martinez. Hey, if you want to see what Wicked and Suede looks like, look up Johnny on YouTube and check out the videos. It is one cool ride. Hey, if you're listening to us on iTunes, remember, number one, subscribe. It's free, and you'll automatically get notified when a new show uploads. Then rate us and write a review. If you're listening on SoundCloud, like us and follow us, and then tell your car pals and fellow club members about all the great guests and cool stories we have on our award-winning Talking About Cars podcast. Also, check out our videos with our partners at Generation Auto, and we have them on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Randy Crudum. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.